It's not infrequent that when I come to a sermon, I uh, have one thing in mind after I read uh, the uh, Monday morning reading, and then over the course of the week, it changes. It's, it's in fact quite frequent that I have one sermon in mind, and then, uh, I, then perhaps on Saturday or Sunday, I go in a completely <clears throat> different direction. And in fact, this process has even happened uh, like an hour before giving a sermon, where I go, you know what, this is not the sermon, this is the sermon. But this was a, a remarkable one to prepare for, because in fact, in preparing for this sermon, I came to a, a very different conclusion regarding the passage than I had had before. I originally was planning to preach on the verses 35 and 36. I was asked recently about uh, my favorite uh, verses in the Bible, and one of them is Jesus wept. And the verse that follows it up, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And I was going to preach a sermon, I was planning to preach about the love of Jesus for human beings. And what a blessing it is. I mean, we understand intellectually the love of God. We understand it. We know it. We feel it. But we see in a very clear way, reflected in Jesus' tears, the love that he had. And so I was going to make a general sermon on this topic. But as I was reading John chapter 11, and I, I went back a little bit to give us an additional context, it became fairly clear to me that Jesus' tears were for a different reason than I thought. Therefore, a different, uh, they were caused by something different. And in really delving into this, I think it really uh, gave me a whole new picture of Jesus' humanity. Now, this is an important topic for us because there have been many schisms throughout the church over the nature of Jesus. There have been people who were uh, very focused on the complete humanity of Jesus. He was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. But he was not divine. There is only one God. And then there have been others who felt, well, Jesus couldn't quite have been. He was divine and he made claim to divinity. Therefore, he couldn't have been fully human. And so there have been, uh, we understand that both of those are in fact error, that he was fully God and fully man. And yet it is difficult for us sometimes to grasp one or both of those things. It's difficult for us to grasp a man being born a born of a woman, living, having human uh, body, dying, being resurrected, and that person also possessing divinity. It's very difficult for us to understand. We can, uh, the more we have heard about it and read about it, we can have some comfort in it and comfort about the concept, but it's very difficult for us to understand. And I think to some extent, uh, like other parts of Scripture, we're not fully able to completely grasp the nature of God because, of course, his ways are so far above ours. But it's also sometimes difficult, and sometimes we see this reflected in churches, churches and reflected perhaps in our own uh, point of view, that we sometimes too much uh, de-emphasize the humanity of Jesus. 
We know that he was a human being, but there's parts of Scripture that are difficult for us to think about and understand in the nature of Jesus as God. And yet we understand from Scripture very clearly that Jesus Christ was fully man. He was tempted in all manner, such as we were. He had all, well, perhaps almost all, of the experiences that we would consider uh, to be uh, indicative of true humanity. He was born, he grew. This is a passage that I haven't uh, heard much uh, preached about, but the fact that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. Boy, that's, that's difficult. That's, that's confusing how to reconcile that. Sometimes we have a picture of, and sometimes this can be a little bit emphasized, as Jesus as kind of the perfect child, ex- having a full, uh, full wisdom, the full wisdom and knowledge of his divinity when he was born, when he was a toddler. And certainly spiritually, we see that full essence. And to some extent, in a way we can't fully understand, Jesus did possess that. But we also understand that he laid aside his crown, as we sang. He did, uh, to some extent, close off that aspect while he was on earth, to some extent. So it's difficult for us to understand how exactly did this manifest. Well, here I think we see something. I was thinking about this passage in terms of Jesus' divinity. We know that God loves the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God loves uh, not simply his own, but he loves humanity. And he sent his son to die for us so that we might have the opportunity to be redeemed. And so, thinking about this and understanding the joy that there is in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance... The sorrow that we see in heaven, the sorrow that we see of God uh, when uh, people go astray. I was thinking about it in that aspect. And also, uh, I think uh, I, was, I was thinking about it, and I saw a book not long ago that talked about, it was from a very Reformed perspective, saying that it is all the parts of Scripture that talk about God having emotions God doesn't have emotions because that would imply that God changes and we know that God doesn't change. I think it's impossible really to read scripture and not understand that God has emotions. God does, is uh, said to have emotions throughout scripture. Now how we understand it in terms of his unchanging nature and how a God who is outside of time and space experiences them is something that is too far above us to fully understand, but we know it exists. But we also understand that God's love towards us and our sorrow towards us, as individualized as it is, is divine. It's from above. And yet when you read this passage, what we're seeing from Jesus, I think, is something, I'm sure partially that, but is also something that is distinctly human. We're seeing human sorrow from Jesus here. We are seeing human emotion. Now, why do I say this? Because this passage emphasizes multiple times that Jesus loved Lazarus. It also says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. 
John also, in other times, talks about himself without being specific as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, not until this time did it dawn on me, why is that necessary to say? Jesus loves the world. Jesus died for the world. Jesus demonstrated greater love has no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friend. The love that Jesus has for every one of us is beyond anything that any of us have experienced or can comprehend. It's a divine love. It's a perfect agape love. So why is it necessary to say that Jesus loved Lazarus? And how does this interact with Jesus' weeping? I think it's fair to say that Jesus loved Lazarus as a man loves a friend. This Jesus loved Lazarus, Lazarus as perhaps you have loved your friends, perhaps as you have loved family. Jesus loved Lazarus as a human being, as well as, of course, fully, divinely as God. Jesus didn't just love Lazarus, but he loved John. He loved uh, Mary and Martha, and I'm sure, doubtless, there were others. Others that he loved in a very specific way. Now, this would make sense. We know that Jesus was fully human, yet without sin, of course. So Jesus did not have an experience with sinfulness, but Jesus did have an experience with humanity and the human experience. And so, of course, just as Jesus uh, was at times uh, in agony, in agony emotionally as well as physically, at times Jesus was tired, times Jesus was hungry, Jesus was tempted, Jesus uh, felt physical pain, Jesus lived as a human being, it would also make sense that Jesus experienced this form of friendship and this form of love. Now, why is this significant? I think this is significant because as I was thinking about this from the perspective of the divine love of God, a question came to my mind. Why did Jesus weep? Why did Jesus weep? Why was Jesus troubled in his spirit? Why was he groaning in himself? I think we're going to get into this tonight, and hopefully it gives you, as I think it's given me, a greater appreciation for the sacrifice, for the love, for the humanity of Jesus, for the incredible love that it demonstrates, not just for Lazarus, but for us. But before we get into this, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, the words of your scripture tonight, Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would help each one of us to hear, understand, and apply your word of truth, and Lord, that we would come away with a deeper gratitude, a deeper appreciation, a deeper love for you from this sermon. In your name, amen. The question of why did Jesus weep came up because it struck me that Jesus had been to funerals before. Jesus had seen dead people before. Jesus had raised people from the dead before. Jesus had healed people before. 
And yet we see when Jesus healed the children of strangers to him, we don't see this emotion. Now, did Jesus love those people divinely any less? Of course not. Certainly not. Jesus died for them. Jesus created them. Jesus loved them. So why did he not weep then and he wept here? Well, we also know that Jesus would have experienced death because by this time, uh, uh, Joseph, who raised him as a father, would also have been dead. Jesus would have attended that funeral. We can't say from Scripture, but it seems likely that if he would have wept for Lazarus, he probably wept for his uh, earthly father. Jesus had experienced loss. Jesus had experienced grief. I think this is good for us to be reminded of because sometimes when we sing a song like Man of Sorrows, we think of Jesus as a man of sorrows in terms of a rebellious people not accepting his forgiveness, of his abandonment by his disciples, the sorrows of crying towards Jerusalem when they rejected him. And those were sorrows as well. We're seeing here a human sorrow, a sorrow of loss. I think it's fair to say, I think it's an appropriate reading of Scripture, to say that Jesus wept here out of grief for Lazarus, who he loved, and for the grief of Mary and Martha, who he also loved. Now there's an additional aspect to this. Why did he weep? when he knew that very shortly there would be joy. Lazarus was coming out of that tomb. Jesus knew about it before he even went there. Why was he crying? Certainly we see potentially some aspect, there was some grief, maybe to some extent, of loss for Jesus. Certainly that's what the Jews said, behold how he loved him, and there was a feeling of loss. But Jesus knew they were going to be reunited shortly. He knew that Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead, that he would be able to speak to him. The sort of grief that we have when we come to a funeral is that we will be separated from a loved one for a longer period of time. If we all came to a funeral and we said, hey, we're all going to grieve together, and then as soon as we're done, person's going to get back up out of there, going to go on living their life. Probably not the same sort of grieving process, right? Well, I think Jesus' grief was for a different reason. Jesus' grief was not simply about the loss of Lazarus, but it was about the grief that we see here reflected in Mary and Martha. What do we see in Mary and Martha, in both of them reflected? A faith but a desperation. In Mary and Martha, we see a desperate desire to remain holding on to their faith in Jesus Christ, even as it is tested by their loss. We don't see a wavering, but both of them are saying, if only you would have been here. The grief of thinking that perhaps this loss was preventable. I remember uh, when my father was sick, a uh, young man at church, doubtless out of 
Pure Motives came up to uh, uh, sh try to show me a video. He, in fact, emailed it to me about how I think it was, if you eat enough carrots, you'll can your cancer will go away. And he said, please forward this to your dad. So I forwarded it to my dad, didn't hear anything back. I was confident that my dad's reaction to it, if he even opened it, would have been the same that mine was. And he, he asked me the next week at church, did you watch that video with your dad? I said, no, no, no. I sent it to him. It's up to him. And he said, well, you've got to make him watch it. I said, well, I'm not going to make him do anything. That's, he, can, he can choose to watch it. And he said, do you care if your father lives or dies? I said, well, that is, uh, we are done talking about this topic for now. Well, if I had believed for one second that there was legitimacy to it, and if, for example, this had been emailed to me and I had forgotten to forward it on, the amount of grief that I would have had would have been quite, quite heavy. It was heavy enough losing a father. It would be that much greater if you felt that it was preventable. There was something that could have been done. And we see the grief of Mary and Martha here plainly. By the way, we don't see just the grief of Mary and Martha. We see the grief of the disciples as well. Didymus, Thomas, says, let us also go that we may die with him. They are grieving Lazarus as well. And these are also disciples who Jesus loves. This is a time of great sorrow and grieving. And again, Jesus already knows what's coming. Jesus already knows that this is, that he is going to be raised. And yet the grief is there. You know what my theory is on Jesus' grief? Why Jesus wept? I believe that Jesus wept because the grief that Mary and Martha that Thomas, that all the others grieving was having, all the grief that they were undergoing, the pain that they were undergoing, was something that he could have prevented, but did not because it was in God's purpose not to do so. Let's think about that for a second. Jesus knew that Lazarus was close to death. Certainly he knew even before he was told, more than likely, I believe that he knew before he was told. And he could have spoken the word and healed Lazarus. And if he would have done so, he would have spared a lot of people a lot of grief. People that he loved. Not simply from the divine perspective in which he loves each one of us. People that he knew, that he had communed with, that he had eaten with, and on a human level, were like family to him. And he was seeing their sorrow and their grief. He was seeing their struggle. He was seeing their pain. And he was knowing that, that he could have prevented it. He could have done it. Now, why didn't he do it? We don't see it reflected here, but I think it would be safe to say that the devil may very well have tempted him to do it. The devil loved to tempt Jesus to use his power, his divine power, to satisfy his own human desires and needs. Turn these rocks into bread. We don't see it reflected here, but 
I'm sure the human temptation would have been, spare them this pain. Spare them this grief. Spare them this sorrow. Spare them. Why make them go through that? But now, let's move on to the reason. Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did Jesus have the timing he did? We see in verse 6, right after it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Why was he doing that? We don't see any, any reason as to why he couldn't have gone. Why did he abide here? Why did he stay? Well, because Jesus is very clear from the first time he heard, hears about this. Verse 4, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jesus knew from the beginning that it was God's purpose that Lazarus should die and be raised again. Jesus knew that. Jesus said, uh, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. He knew that it was the purpose of God that Lazarus be raised. And he knew that to do so would bring glory to God's name. But again, what else did he also know? He also know, knew intellectually, and then by experience what he was there, the cost that that involved. When he saw the people that he loved broken up with grief, he was seeing the cost of the decision he was making. The decision he was making in obedience to God. And yet, we don't, what we don't see is Jesus wavering. We don't see Jesus at all second-guessing. We see Jesus 100% committed to glorifying God and the glorification of God through the Son of God. We read this beautiful verse here. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? We see this before we see Jesus in grief. Jesus is saying there is a resurrection. And yet after that, after with full knowledge about what is happening, we don't see simply that Jesus wept. We also see that when he saw her weeping and the people around her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then he wept. And then in verse 38, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. We see a Jesus who is experiencing human grief who is experiencing the same grief that any one of us have experienced who has experienced grief, who has experienced loss. 
This is Jesus experiencing it. This is Jesus experiencing the loss of a loved one. Not simply in the divine sense, in the sense that God loves all. And I'm not saying this to in any way diminish the quality or power or personal attention of God's love. But this is a personal loss of Jesus. This is Jesus grieving for the sorrow of Mary and Martha. Grieving for the sorrow of the Jews. And then he says, take away the stone. And Martha, ever the practical one, says, well, he stinks by now. And Jesus said, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And then we see his prayer. And what a beautiful prayer. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it. That they may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus was understanding that it was necessary for his mission that Lazarus be raised from the dead. And yet while doing so, we see a Jesus who is troubled in his spirit. Troubled, I don't see this to mean to be of, of two minds, to be anxious. I see troubled in his spirit to be grieving. This is, a Jesus, this is Jesus grieving, saddened, burdened for the people that he loved even as he was obedient. Now, then there is the joy, the joy of Lazarus raised again, okay? And what happens almost immediately after this? The Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, we see in the same chapter, verse 55. And Jesus then comes to Jerusalem. And then we see the ultimate example of this, of course. We see the ultimate example. When we see Jesus struggling in the garden, sweating great drops of blood in agony of spirit, asking God, take away this cup from me. Again, when we simply think of this in terms of Jesus as fully divine, we may think of Jesus and understand the physical pain that he would experience. The physical pain from crowns of thorns, the physical pains from uh, nails driven through hands and feet. But look at Jesus in the garden and see that, that pain of the near future that he was looking forward to. The pain that he was to have of Betrayal, the pain that he was to have of desertion, the pain that he was to have even of abandonment, in a sense, by God the Father. And Jesus, of course, as fully human, said, take away this cup for me. But, what was next? What do we see in Jesus? We see in these passages Jesus fully human, fully experiencing every human emotion that we have been given. Experiencing this human experience. We see this fully in Jesus, and yet a Jesus who was obedient above all. A Jesus who was committed above all to God's purposes. When we come to... Uh, uh, this passage, I, I came to this passage thinking of this passage as Jesus weeping 
for Lazarus' death in the same way that he wept for everybody else's death, would weep for everybody else's death. But we don't necessarily see that for God. Death is not a sorrowful thing for God. He's the one who's choosing it. He's the one who's choosing the time of our death. We don't necessarily see that in the same sorrow, something that would be experienced by a human being in a time of loss, a human being sharing the the grief of, of people that he loved. Instead, we see this reflected in Jesus. And yet, and yet, Jesus fully committed. No wavering. Fully committed to the purposes of his father, of his father's business. Now, we saw this reflected very early on, of course, in Jesus' uh, uh, work on earth, on his time on earth, even before his ministry, so-called, began. Think of the emotions of Jesus' parents when he was lost in Jerusalem and they had left without him. And they came back and Jesus' answer was what? Do you not know that I need to be about my father's business? God's purpose for me comes before these things. We see that reflected here in John chapter 11. And so I think, at least for me, this has really brought out uh, a greater and deeper appreciation of Jesus' sacrifice for us, of Jesus' love for us, of Jesus' uh, uh, fully human uh, experience, the, uh, the burdens that he's able to share with us because he knows them. He remembers that we are dust because he has experience as a human being. Not only gives that greater weight, but it also, of course, as with everything with Jesus, is a reminder that he is our example. That a reminder of our purpose of our calling. Our calling is, as Jesus's was, to prioritize obedience over our own feelings, over our own desires, over anything that is pulling us in a different direction. Jesus understood that it was a blessing to have people that he loved. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to have family. It's a blessing to have these other things. And there are responsibilities that come from that. We see that the last thing Jesus accomplishes in, uh, uh, before dying uh, in, in the book of John is telling the disciple who he loved, John, to take care of Mary, to bring his mother into his house. Jesus wrapping things up and taking care of things for uh, his mother. And so that, of course, is a blessing, and that is something that we have a responsibility to. And yet, the number one commandment, as Jesus said and as Jesus lived, was to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus fully lived that out. Jesus win. Given the opportunity to be obedient in a way that would cause him and the people he loved 
momentary, temporary grief, or to spare them of it, he was obedient. And then, as a human being, he felt the grief. Then he wept. Then he uh, was troubled in his spirit. And so are we called to do. We live in a time in which it's very easy to be uh, led by our emotions. Emotions are prized very highly, and people talk very often about following their heart and things of that nature. And yet, and yet, we, like Christ, are called to follow the, uh, the uh, dictates of God's word, the commandments of God's word, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's, in all ways, seek to apply this passage in our own lives, and I hope that, like me, uh, this causes a, a deeper and uh, a stronger gratitude for Jesus' experience uh, on this earth and his love for us.